This finds you awesome. This really busy, sober October. Everybody's out just crushing it. Everybody's like a little exhausted. You're psyched up. It's fall. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. End of fall. End of October. Middle, mid-fall. Mid-fall season. You're like, oh my God. When when will this end? All right. Bring back summer. Maybe that's just me. Who knows? Um this uh, intro on to this podcast has been on my list of things to do for approximately 18 days. Nope, 19, I just, that's the 23rd. Holy shit. Anyway, Patrick Firth is a legend. This is a legend. This is a legendary podcast. Um, Pat moved to Rockaway Beach, like, last September. Yeah, a year and a month. And uh, he moved out there, and I had just kind of, like, dipped my little toesies into the surf. I was like, oh, Pat. You got to start surfing. So it's been fun. He's been my surfing buddy. We've been doing it together. He's super aggressive in the water. Pat, you're a fucking animal out there. And um, he lives on the beach. He literally lives on the beach. We went for a morning surf, got sandwich, and then sat on his balcony. (laughs) And I'm thinking of my friend who's like, yeah, he has a white piano out there. And I really, I think I convinced myself that Pat actually had a white piano. Pat is a keyboard player. And I, I just imagined you just, Pat, I imagined you, like, carooning, like, on this white piano, just basically to babes or dudes or anybody. I just, that's a fantasy. You know, who doesn't want to fucking be at the beach just jamming the fuck out on a white piano? <laughs> um, <clears throat> anyway, so we went for a surf, we got sandwich, and we, uh, we did this on his balcony. And it was awesome. And I learned a lot. I learned he had a brother who's also a musician. He's like, you didn't know that? And then, so Pat works with a fucking everybody. He works with an artist I love, Carsey Blanton, who's re- just a special songwriter. And at one point in this, like early on, he, he couldn't remember one of her album's names. Album's names. And he could, uh, he was like, can we edit this? And I was like, no. No editing. So Pat, there is no edit on this. Because it's, uh... This is real. Shows you're a human. In my circle of friends, if you play like a perfectly executed solo, that is, you have firthed it. Like you just firthed that solo. His last name is an adjective for, to describe perfect soloing technique, because Pat takes literally perfect solos. He's the perfect musician. He's the perfect hang, perfect musician. He's the best dude ever. And I apologize. It's ta- I think it was probably early September. Yeah, it was definitely early September that we did this because I think I, I might be able to look right here. Could be right here. Wait, can I very quickly, very quickly. Yeah, yeah it was like September 3rd. The, it might have been the day after Labor Day. Okay, not that it matters. But it was like just one of those beautiful days. Oh, here's the other surf story I want to tell Pat. So we like in the spring, in the spring, we're like, all right, we got to get boards. Instead of stop borrowing our friend's boards. And we got the same board. Well, his is one foot shorter. In the dark, we feel the same, but mine's a little bit bigger. And he, um, and it was just awesome. 
Okay, the first time we went out, I remember Pat, Tim and I, and Pat just was like, I feel like we're on an adventure. And I just saw it in Pat's eyes, like just the glow. Just like, yeah, you're psyching. Because there's something happens in the ocean. I don't know, it like alters the chemistry of your brain and you just come out a better person. And then we, oh, so that was in the fall, that story I just told. But then in the spring, we're at the beach, we got our boards, there was a little beautiful swell in it. It was my first time out in the evening too. And we, we were out there and we're paddling out and Pat just looks over and he's like, well, this is it. I can die now. This is it. This is the happiest. It was just like this surreal of like all, like the water temperature was perfect. Everything was perfect. And then we drank Mai Tais and ate Thai food. And it was awesome. And even just saying Mai Tai makes me think about how much I miss drinking. But I do really recommend that everybody takes a month off from drinking it. It really is good for you. Uh, it's good for you. Gets in touch with uh, what you're maybe really feeling, I think. And I'm feeling the same thing, but I'm just thinking, damn, I'm sleeping really good. And, uh, yeah, I could go for a drink. It's boring. It's a little bit boring. Is that maybe <laughs> my friend? <laughs> you're just like a fucking bored. Anyway, Patrick Firth, listen to this. I'm going to play you in with this track called You're the Only One from his band with the Cats, Yeep. the Brooklyn Sugar Company. And then we're going to play you out with Part of Me. And uh, I'm a little clogged up. I got like Pat, Coach Chris, Desmond White, Benjamin Wagner, Carell and his boys. I got some others down the pike. So and my goal was just to put out two a week, two a month. Two a week would be like some Rogan shit. And even then, it's proving to be a challenge. But I think it's just the culmination of a super wedding season, super teaching season. Super bumping. So whatever. Let's get to it. Dudes, I hope everybody's doing well. Stay killing. Stay really real. Because we got the hoss, the boss, Mr. Patrick Firth.
So, ladies and gentlemen, here we are. A very, very, very special Secret Famous. So we're in my favorite spot on Earth. Well, okay, maybe let's say favorite in New York City. Cheers to Pat Firth. Cheers. The guru keyboard player, the magical keyboard player, mm. plays with Carsey Blanton, the Brooklyn Sugar Company, the Josh Dion band, Bernhoff, Jamo. So I can't say his name from the Almond Brothers. Jamo. 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 Pat. We are in his home studio. He has a vocal booth in his in his lair, in his mansion, which is also looking at the Atlantic Ocean. I'm looking at the Atlantic Ocean. The beautiful Pat, Atlantic, yeah. <laughs> and the consummate host, he made me a margarita, so cheers to Pat. Pat, thank you for hey. allowing me into your home. I, 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 you're the only one I would allow into my home. Oh. Mm. So. Summertime. Feels good to be home, right? Yeah, yeah, it does. Because you spent like three months on the road this year, right? Yeah, yeah. I was out with Carsey uh, from, what was it? It was March through May. We were out. We did the entire country, basically. That is a massively long tour. It right? was. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of work, but it was great. I mean, like, it really paid off. Like, it was It was totally worth all the, all the effort, but... Um, and she was touring on a record that you played on, right? Yeah, yeah. What was the name of that record? Uh, the name of that record... <laughs> well, it's okay. <laughs> Can we edit this? Because that sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Why am I blanking on this? <laughs> the name of that record is the one I played on. It's uh, uh, great. It's called, it's called Buck Up. <laughs> it's called Buck Up. Wow, that was good mind blank that I just No, had. it happens. Mind Buck blank up. there. Yeah. Because... I liked Carsey before I realized that you played with her. And on Instagram, I yeah, saw you that yeah. you were tag, you were like in a picture of hers. And I was like, wait a second. Yeah, I remember when you reached out to me and you were like, you know, you were asking. I was like, wait, you're that. in this this woman's band? Because I heard her on the Tangentially Speaking podcast. And I was like, man, this song is awesome. Oh, wait a second. All of her songs are awesome. Like, she's great. How yeah. did you link up with her? Because she's based in New Orleans. That was that was a, a, just a little bit of uh, serendipity. It was... Uh, I met her through, well, two people, uh, Paul Heist, who lives down in North Carolina, and he runs a, um, a house concert called The Backyard Stage, um, and he had recommended me to Carsey, and also, somehow, Carsey had gotten in touch with Greg Mayo, uh, and had then Greg had recommended me uh, to her. Greg. So, yeah, from those two recommendations, that's kind of how I met her, and it was so, it was... It was just one of these things where I spoke to her through email. I sent her a little video audition of uh, of some of some of her tunes, and then um, like a couple weeks later, I flew out to Chicago and and met her and the band. And that's that was about five years ago. That's five years ago. Yeah, you were five years ago. Five yeah. years. Wow. Yeah. And excitingly, you're tracking her new record in yeah. your home studio. Yeah. We just well, we just did the the demos for uh, for the next. Incarnation, uh, whatever record that will wind up being, um, we did that at the end of uh, July, and that was actually the first project I did here. Was uh, was that uh, was the, those recordings? It's pretty exciting. It's a little nerve wracking, but mostly exciting. Yeah, because well, it's always hard to like engineer and be a performer. Yeah, right? like, yeah. Are you pushing your own space bar for your own keyboard tracks and stuff? Yeah, yeah. yeah I was. I mean, I was doing all of that, but um, you know, at least for the for the bass. The bass tracks, we were all uh, 
they were just playing and I was just engineering, which was good because that's about all I could focus on. How many tracks did you guys do? We did, uh, we did six tunes in about three days. Yes. Yeah. And did you catch a little gnar shredding? Did you go out to the beach? We did do a, uh, we did a couple of beach hangs. It was uh, two of the days were really nice. The third was a little stormy, so we didn't get out for the uh, to the beach on the third day. But yeah, yeah. But it was it was a lot of fun having all of them here and just having a little powwow with with uh, some really close friends. And, oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah I mean, we're, guys, we're not lying. Pat from his balcony is staring. At the Atlantic Ocean, it's fucking it's a magical. great sight. Yeah, yeah. yeah it never gets old. Amazing. You know, I've never, I've never gotten tired of it. It's like one of these things where I always get a little excited every time I get home. I'm like, <laughs> you know, yeah, right. I just You're come like, out here and sit and be, you know, just get to get to ponder. And I think part of what really attracted me to the ocean, right, is it feels like the wilderness all of a sudden, which. Pat, tell everybody where you grew up. I grew up in upstate New York, uh, right outside of Lake George. Say the town. Uh, Hudson Falls. Hudson Falls. Hudson not, Falls. Not Glens Falls. No, but it's right next door to Glens Falls. Glens Falls is the next town over. And, right, the rumor on the street is you are the seed, the child of music educators. Yes, yeah. Uh, both my parents uh, were musicians and, and, uh, uh, and educators. And my brother is also a musician. What? Yeah. What is he play? You didn't know this? Oh, I thought you knew this. No, I don't. Oh. This is what I'm saying. You know people for years and years and years. You don't yeah. know stuff. About yeah, my, my brother is also a, is also a pianist. Uh, he lives out in Long Island. Um, he does uh, a lot of work with um, uh, cabaret artists, jazz artists. Um, does a lot of uh, uh, arranging for like pops orchestras and things like that. Um, what and, is his name? Yeah, uh, that's Ted. Ted Firth. Ted Firth. Yeah. And where on the island does he live? He lives in uh, Baldwin, South Shore. South Shore. Oh, yeah. Why yeah. did he settle out there? Do you have, an, like, an island connection besides we your upstate We do, yeah, because uh, my, my grandfather, when, when Ted and I were kids, my grandfather lived in Islip, in West Islip. Uh, and so we would go out to the island uh, maybe three times a year, some some you know, around that. Um, we'd come down from upstate and, and hang on the island. So we had that connection, and then his wife is also, she's from uh, uh, Quag. So that's like, that's out towards the Hamptons. Yeah. Say the right. word again. Quag. 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 Q, like Q-U. Q-U-O-G-G. I don't know. I actually, I actually don't know how to say it. I think it's no. Q-U-O-G-U-E. <laughs> Quag. I don't know. That, Some great Native American yeah. word that we've yeah. co-opted, yeah. and now it's like a Long Island word, like Quag. Quag. You call out to yeah. Quag? I'm like, what? Yeah. What did they just say? So that's cool. That explains it. And so you grew up there. I believe it was your mother who was a piano teacher? Uh, my mom was a clarinetist. Clarinetist, yeah. okay. My dad, my dad is a, a trombonist and, and a euphonium player. And uh, my as mom, a job, both as a job. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, my dad, my dad was my dad's main job was was as a uh, uh, elementary school and high school band teacher. He uh, taught at a uh, school district uh, in the Adirondacks called Hadley Luzerne. Just two towns, Hadley and Luzerne. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, he taught there eh, probably for, I mean, for all of my life he was teaching there. Mm -hmm. So and he retired. Close to ten years ago, so yeah, at least thirty-five, at least thirty-five years, close to forty years. And my mom, 
was a clarinetist. Uh, she was the director of the music program at uh, what is now SUNY Adirondack, but uh, oh, yeah, at the yeah. time it was called uh, Adirondack Community College. ACC. ACC, yeah. And she was doing music education there. She did music education there. She basically ran the music program there. She um, was it um, like a classical based thing. Yeah, or? yeah. I, I mean, like her. I mean, she taught uh, uh, concert band. She taught a lot of private lessons as well. Um, uh, one of her big loves was also music history, so she would teach uh, the music history courses there. Um, and then she oversaw the whole program and and um, for. About 20 years, she, she was the, the head of the, the program there. So can you even remember the first time you played a keyboard, or was it just always a part of your life? Uh, you can't, I just, have memories. You were, I mean, like, I have memories of being, like, really little and, and like, pretending to... I mean, well, I guess I, I guess I was writing songs, but, you know, I, you know, at age three or four, just, like, plunking at a piano and just making things up. I mean, I, that's, that's kind of my earliest recollections of, like, being at a piano. But, yeah, it's, yeah. like, one of those things I don't really have a whole lot of memories where that wasn't part of my it life. It was just always a part of yeah. your life, yeah. yeah. You guys were playing tunes yeah. or singing yeah. and... Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had started piano lessons when I was five, so... Not from them? Not like, from them, no. Yeah. I mean, well, I think my mom might have given me a couple of lessons to start, um, just kind of like see if I would be interested in it, and then she farmed out the, the lessons almost immediately. My parents didn't like... Because I think they were music educators, I think they wanted to like separate themselves from us having to learn from them directly. Like I yeah. think they just wanted other people to teach because they thought it was a that we, they might be better influences and have less conflict. Of course, <laughs> makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and is your brother older or younger? He's my older brother. Yeah, he's uh, about three and a half years older than me. And they raised two keyboard players. So he yeah. started probably at age five, and then you're like, "Oh my god, yeah, Ted's he, playing keys." He might, he might, I think he might have started at four. He might have been, he might have been four when he started lessons. But yeah, um, yeah no, he started, and then, you know, I, when I got old enough, I, I started as well. But we also, Ted also played um, trombone in high school, and sang in the choir. And I played saxophone when I was in high school. And actually, for a minute, I thought I, I would become a saxophonist, uh, but I kind of switched back to piano as being my main focus. I don't know, when I was, like, maybe 16 or so. Uh, so, piano, so at 16, you were like, I'm going back, I'm going full keys. Yeah, yeah. And this is where, there's a picture at my, uh, my in-law's house, where you're in uh, all state jazz band with, oh, Dan, with Voss Dan Voss and yeah. Brian Colleen. Yeah, is yeah. There, And who's the drummer of that band? Is that that dude, Russ? Was Russ he the drummer? Was not the drummer. No, I don't remember the name of the the guy who played drums uh, for that. Is oh, there any other wait. legends in that picture though? Russ, Russ might. Okay, if Colleen's in the picture, then yes. Because it was like right? it must have been Russ. Yeah, because the because Colleen wasn't there initially, and then because he was in like the the vocal jazz ensemble, I remember, and then he switched over to the. The, the big band at, at some point. But yeah, yeah, it was uh, very strange connections that happened. That's, yeah. some, that's a legendary photo. I was yeah. like, this is Pat yeah. Firth, Ryan Colleen, and, and my brother-in-law, and Dan brother-in-law. in the yeah. all-state uh, jazz band. Yeah. Which is that maybe yeah. 98 or that 99? That was 98, yeah. 98, was 98. yeah. Yes, because I remember seeing this picture and Brian telling me about it. 
So I may have made them go fish it out for me. Cool. Yeah. <clears throat> so this is like m the melding of the minds right there. Is that your first time meeting Brian? That was the first time. I, I distinctly remember meeting him because um, he was, uh, he at the time was uh, shedding Donna Lee furiously. And, <laughs> and, and I just remember I had never met a bass player who could actually do that. And and I was severely impressed. Yeah, uh, was he doing it on a, a, a upright or no? No, he was playing. He was oh, playing like it on electric. on. I think he was playing like a Music Man or something like that at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And well, before we bolt ahead to that, where that leads, because you've been collaborators with Brian, basically your whole professional yeah, and adult yeah. life, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, we 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 estimated at one point. I think that we had played over two thousand shows together. <laughs> Which is kind of ridiculous. But. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I remember doing a wedding with you guys years and years ago. Elliot Jacob was in on drums. It was you and Brian. I was playing guitar. Jerry was fronting. Maybe Kelly. It was like Tony Maselli's friend's wedding. Uh -huh. And the, the weird... You, you two had like twin language on stage. You were mm. looking at each other like, are we going to do the sub here? Are we doing this change here? I was just like, I'm way out of my head huh. with these guys. Yeah. 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 I mean, And that was probably 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a, a lucky a lucky thing for that for sure. It's like it's really nice to get to have have friends who also can work together that closely for that long. Yes, I feel like a blue by your whole. <clears throat> so were you doing like always jazz saxophone? Was that kind of where you what what ex really excited you, or were you always excited? Were you always like I'm going to go I, into music? I wasn't. I wasn't always excited about it. I started getting excited about it when I got into high school, it was always there and it was always something that I liked doing, but I never really, it wasn't, it wasn't until I was maybe like 14 or so that I like kind of started thinking about, oh, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life and I don't really want to do anything else. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's pretty young. <laughs> like, I that's really a... don't want to have a job. I just want to like <laughs> play music and, and, yeah. and, you know, drink get, margaritas at the beach three o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday. <laughs> on a Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you do like pop gigs or did you take the traditional course where you're like, I only play classical or I only play jazz? Cause I feel like I had these phases where I was like, no, I don't do, I don't play pop music. Anymore, yeah. Oh, you know? oh, oh yeah. Very much so. Uh, <laughs> I mean, um, when I first started getting, uh, really serious about practicing and, and playing music. I, I went through a pretty heavy classical phase, um, and uh, uh, I had a classical teacher uh, at uh, Adirondack Community College that uh, I studied with for um, something like seven years or so, and um, uh, got pretty pretty deep into that world for a, a second, and then. Um, the jazz influence came from my brother mostly because he had already gotten into that style of music, and uh, uh, so he he was a big influence on me at that time. So I started getting into playing jazz, but I was very anti-pop music, with some ex some strange exceptions. There were there were definitely some some. Uh, Is Peter Jackson. Gabriel one of the exceptions at no, this point? No, he wasn't time, really, not at that point. He was a little bit later. I mean, like, I had I had a couple of Billy Joel records that I really liked. Um, Maybe Elton? Uh, no, I hadn't, really didn't do the Elton thing. I didn't, I didn't really, I, well, no, not, not at that time. But uh, I had, I had several Dave Matthews band records. Oh, uh, that uh -huh. was a, that was a big 
and time big, period and pleasure. place, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, you were going to the Dave shows at SPAC, I yeah. assume. Oh, yeah. yeah. I went to, uh, well, I went to one Dave show at, at, at SPAC, yeah. uh, which, was, which was pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like, for the most part, I didn't really, like, pay attention to pop music very much until I got into college. And uh, uh, Josh Dion was so my... So tell us the college. Uh, yeah. William Patterson major, University. Yeah. William, Willie William P. Willie P. Very Bill on the Hill. <laughs> uh, and um, your freshman year roommate was, was the Josh Dion. Was Josh Dion, yeah. And, uh, and oh my god! And Dion, uh, as as many people know, uh, has a uh, uh, a deep love of of funk and R and B music. Mm -hmm. And it really rubbed off on me uh, having his record collection around, um, and that was like a big that was a big change in my life when I really started checking out that that music and and just getting into pop music in general and and starting to see bigger pictures uh you know how far music can go and like what how far it can reach and how many people it can reach and everything so you and josh he was he was like hey man let's put on this brother johnson record yeah, or yeah. here's this oh. fucking gap band record yeah, i checked oh, out oh yeah all the gap band records were out earth wind and fire was a big one uh that was always always around um and then like a lot of a lot of classic stuff too, like Almond Brothers, the band. The, like I remember the first person who ever showed me the band was him. Uh, I had never heard that group before. Um, uh, the Beatles. I mean, like I had known about the Beatles, but like I had a piano teacher in high school who like didn't really like the Beatles very much. Like kind of was anti-Beatles. So I kind of like had this. Uh, I get it. I you know I chip on my shoulder about it that really shouldn't have been there, and of and course. I learned I learned quickly otherwise that I didn't agree with that point later in life. Um, but yeah, like the Beatles records were were the first time that was kind of the first time I really delved into that that music as well. A lot of a lot of stuff uh, came from from his influence. So he was already the Josh Dion that we know and love today, or he was? Yeah, kind of, I mean, like he's he's always been a pretty pretty level person in terms of at least like how how he is as a human being yeah yeah because <clears throat> you had a heavy class there with juliana yeah, right? Mark, Avish Mark. avishai cohen yeah avishai cohen was 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 uh kind of he was uh i mean he wasn't at school with us but he definitely he was like a uh a, a force in school because he was had a band with Dan Heinemann, I forget I forget the name of the band, but it was like Dan Heinemann and, and Jeff Taylor and Mark Juliana and Colleen was in it as well. Um, and yeah, so like he was he was definitely around quite a bit. Was this like a in the just for those no, who don't know, these are like heavy heavy modern jazz musicians. Uh. But was this kind of that band like a modern jazz thing or was it like um, in the pop direction it was or? kind of a pop thing yeah i mean it was like well it was kind of like it straddled it straddled the the barriers yeah um yeah but like yeah, that was yeah it was a lot of good people a heavy class you had there you were there at a special period yeah I feel like. yeah it was like a it was a good good well four to seven years depending on how you look at it yeah <laughs> So Josh is your roommate. Yeah. And then he says to you one day, let's start a band. I'm going to front it. Mm -hmm. You play keys. Yeah. Yeah, this, this was kind of like right after college. He uh, had been on tour with a band called Ulu for uh, a couple of years and got the songwriting bug. And so um, uh, 
yeah, I remember he like started writing a few tunes and and uh, he had been touring with um, Chuck Loeb at the time. Uh, and uh, Chuck had kind of like been, you know, uh, uh, nurturing his his songwriting. Uh, he said, "You oh, should do this." You yeah, should, yeah, yeah. He was he was really encouraging about it. And, and I remember great. the first the first recording session that the Josh Dion band had was with Chuck Loeb. Are you serious? Uh, yeah, Chuck Loeb produced the first demo sessions that we did. I at, did not know that. At a studio called Bear Tracks, which is no longer in existence. I think it's uh, it was up in Suffern, New York. Uh, it was owned by the uh, saxophonist from uh, Spirogyra, I believe. And Chuck Loeb, how would you describe Chuck Loeb for people who don't know who Chuck Loeb is? Bless Chuck his was just a was a yeah yeah was a a real bright presence in in the New York music scene. Um, kind you know, of the king of modern smooth guitar. I don't want to yeah, give him that but label, but he, he but kind he was, of was. But he was a lot deeper. I mean, yes. like he had that element, but he was a lot deeper than that. And, and like even he, like the the smooth and I'm using my air quotes, air quotes in this yeah. the smooth music that he made uh, was was really sophisticated and and fun. I had an opportunity to play with him a few times, and it was like it was a real eye opening experience for me because I hadn't played with anybody on that level before, and it was just yeah, it was a real challenge and exciting and fun. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, was, as a guitar player, I remember, like, checking. I'm like, wow, Chuck Loeb, who the hell is this? I'm going to check this out. I was like, wow, this is pretty smooth. And then seeing the live show, and he's just shredding your face. Yeah. I was like, this is a monster yeah. guitar yeah. player. Yeah. Like, yeah. whatever that record sounds like is no indication yeah. of who he is and yeah. what who he was and who he can do. Because he yeah. recently passed. Yeah, yes. yeah. Sadly, uh, but yeah, no, he was he was a monster. He was, and and you know, people still talk about him very fondly. And and, uh, and so this and is older. about two thousand two. Chuck Loeb produces the first Dion band, couple tracks. Yeah, is this like yeah. um, maybe that track was called "Want Love, Give Love." Uh, is it that record? Give Love might not have. I don't remember if it was on that recording. Bird Walker was definitely on that recording. That was like one of the big. That was your first. That hit. was. That was that was the the jam yes. from that band. That riff is hot as hell. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that's two. Th- I didn't. <clears throat> I kind of thought you guys had the band like in college, but it was kind of like no, a post college. Like, post college. Yeah. Yeah. Let's start a band, bro. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and yeah and and it was just kind of like Josh just picked. Uh, people he felt comfortable playing with. It wasn't really even people that, that I had personally played with very much, like Dan Heinemann. I had played a little bit with in college, but not too much. Sarah Versprill also not very much. Um, and uh, Brian, I had had, had a few. Uh, yeah, just, you know, all-state jazz bands. Yeah, we, we had already been playing together a bit at that point, but that's when we really, like, started playing together a lot. Um, yeah. And, and that was that was like a it was a really eye-opening experience, like getting to work with that band, and like that was kind of my first like touring experience. And and you guys were kind of doing it on the DIY, right? Or were, was there was yeah. money behind it? It was like you guys were all heart and soul into the band, into the project. Pretty like. pretty much, it was DIY because uh, 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 we did have a manager for a, a minute, but. Um, most of the time that the the band was really, you know, chugging away and and working was was just kind of all on our own steam. 
Um, you know, the you know the usual band life. Just get in a van and drive. Get in a van and do eight hours to <laughs> Buffalo, New York, to play a forty-five minute set. <laughs> and drink three PBRs yes. and feel like you're on top of the world, oh, though, yeah. right? Like oh, you're I mean, like, dude, yeah, we are oh, killing absolutely. it. Absolutely, we were we were totally killing it. Yeah, Not really, I, I look but. back at that my, that era. I remember we did a night in Utica. Maybe this is like 06 or something, 07, like your shirt, and maybe a night in Burlington, two nights. We came home with $900, and we thought we were like that. We had made it, bro. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I oh, was 900 like, bucks? Man. 900 Woo. bucks. We, oh. I had like $200. I was like, this is it. We paid gas Someone on the go van. to the liquor store. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we were like, we could do this forever. Yeah, you know? yeah. But we've only accomplished that in two cities. So looking back, it's like, dude, we didn't do anything. But like the Dion Pan, you guys were... Very, uh, very established, like very established in New York. Yeah, because you yeah. played at the bitter end, and it would be packed out. Yeah, yeah, we had kind of. Uh, it got to the point where we kind of had free reign over the bitter end. Like yes. there was, there was. I mean, uh, Kenny Gorka, who was the uh, the owner at the time, uh, uh, just kind of gave us carte blanche. Like we could play there whenever we wanted, um, and we did. We <laughs> we really did. We played. I mean, a lot of times we were there at least once a week. Maybe sometimes a little bit more, you know. Um, and it was it was great just because we would, I mean, not to use a cliche term, but we were really like cutting our teeth, you know, yeah, yeah. at that point. Um, and a lot of development happened because we were able to play shows just so much and so often. And uh, and that was like yeah, that was just like a really big opportunity and like a really important experience. And uh, and then and you guys were. A regional touring kind of jam band. Yeah, traditional I mean, towns: Burlington, Boston. Oh yeah, yeah. Philly. We covered we covered pretty much all of the Northeast, uh, down to like DC, and, and we made our way out to Chicago, um, Indianapolis. But uh, yeah, it was mostly Northeast. Yeah. And in that era of your life, were you also doing some other gigs or teaching? I mean, obviously, you were doing other gigs, but were you like pursuing that or? Uh. I was. I mean, like, I had, at the time that the, the Dion band uh, started, I had another band that um, I was playing with uh, kind of at the, at the same time up until about maybe 2007. It was a band called The Bad Touch, which was, uh, which was run by uh, um, a songwriter, a guitar player, and a bass player as well, but he played guitar in the band uh, named Eric Wills. Who, Eric what? Uh, Eric Wills. Wills. Yeah. And, uh, and that band was also competing like you're doing the, a similar kind of thing as the no that was a little bit more indie rock like it was it was definitely more of a like a, a traditional rock band very loud uh i played keys bass uh in it so there was no actual bass player in the band um, that's cool yeah it was it was fun it was it was a really cool that was a you know a whole other side of of songwriting and 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 performing but it was it was yeah it was also a really fun fun experience but that band kind of finished up around like 2007 especially when the Dion band started getting very busy um, uh, and then yeah so that there was like about two years where I was focusing very heavily on on the Dion band though yeah and nothing I mean there were other things like I was teaching some private lessons here and there but like that was my focus and and you know everything else was just kind of like to subsidize that focus yeah yeah no you guys were all in and people 
if you haven't checked out these, those two recordings are still on Spotify, I assume, right? Yeah, uh, I think all three records. Anthems for the Long Distance. Anthems for the Long Distance is up there. We have a live record that's up there. Uh, and uh, the original Give Love is up there as well. Yeah, it's a special band. Yeah. In the vein of the band, the yeah. Levon Helm. Like, yeah, it, it went that way. Like, we, we kind of, like, focused on that as a, as a, a direction. Um towards maybe halfway through its existence we we decided that that was like the americana roots rock thing was like what we were we were kind of going for yeah i feel like you guys like you know i don't know if that's an age thing because like me and d1 always joke it's like if you can't write a song but you can sing it's like yeah you're either gonna do like soul music or you're gonna do like country you know Mm -hmm. what i mean now that's not to say you guys couldn't write a song. You guys were writing great songs, but everybody nowadays, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. all of a sudden everybody's a country artist now. Yeah, I'm like what yeah. the hell? How did this happen? Like, yeah. you didn't grow up shoveling shit like I did. No, <laughs> <laughs> you can't be a country star. Um, yeah. So that was a conscious, I assume, a conscious. It was. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. discussed a lot, and and definitely was was something that we we consciously decided to do and and move in that direction and you did it yeah yeah and then like all good bands it they came die. to an end yeah yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah <coughs> excuse me um yeah around the end of 2008 was the last the last official shows were uh at the end of 2008 um we were doing some openers for uh, pete francis actually that's right that, that was those were some of the last shows that we did and then was that had, part of like opening for him on that? He was doing a, a record release yes. show or something. Yeah, yeah he yeah. was doing. He was. He had put out a record and was was doing was touring on that record. And we did a bunch of openers for him, and then we, our last official show was New Year's Eve, uh, two thousand eight, going into two thousand nine. At the bitter end. At the bitter end. Oh yeah. That's a a fitting end. Oh no, yeah. Though. yeah. Yeah. That was a big old blowout. Big old blowout. Yeah. And then that became a piece of that band became Paris Munster. Yeah, yeah. A piece of that band became Pure Bathing Culture. And a piece of that band became Brooklyn, Brooklyn Sugar, Sugar Company. Brooklyn Sugar Company. Yeah, yeah. With you, Brian Colleen, Zach Jones, uh-huh. and Greg Mayo. And that was started pretty quickly, right around that era, maybe? Um, that was like maybe 2012. So it's a couple years after. Yeah. Um, obviously, I had been, I still was playing with Colleen quite a bit. Um, I didn't know Zach <laughs> yet at that time, and I knew Mayo from uh, the Bitter End because he would his band, yep. with you. I was in would it. Would be yep. uh, would be opening for us, uh, or or following us, or or you know in any format, uh, but would be playing opposite us in at the club, and um, so I kind of I knew Mayo, but I didn't personally know him very well, and then he had. The first time I really like got to start to know him is he had a birthday show and decided he wanted to do uh, uh, a cover-to-cover uh, performance of Abbey Road. Yeah. And, that's uh, funny. That, and that's... that was that was the first time I really like played with with Mayo. Like actually got to like start to know him and talk with him because um, we we had you know said hello and and all the pleasantries but had not really like. You know, gotten into the, gotten into the dirt together. That's very funny, Pat, because I have such a strong memory of going to that rehearsal, 
and be like, oh man, I did not check these out enough. Brian were coming out, Brian and I were going together and I was listen, watching Brian transcribe bass parts in the train. I was like, mm. damn, this dude's got a crazy ear. And then you telling the story about how you were up at 3 a.m. like sipping a beer, transcribing the parts. I have a clear memory of really? you Wow. I mean, that, that's, that's that. definitely my normal, my normal workflow is like, do it at the very last minute <laughs> the night before while having a cocktail. While nursing a cocktail. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's a pretty normal process for me. Uh, uh, I am. I, I thought am, it was so hardcore. I was like, man, he was just up all night, just shedding this out for the rehearsal. I was like, yeah, wow. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, just I'm, I'm just a really good procrastinator, you know. Like that's. <laughs> but you were, you were enjoying the work of the transcription. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, is, I mean, because I mean, Abbey Road was actually one of the records that uh, of the Beatles that I knew the best, and so I was pretty excited to to get to do that and. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I mean, like I already, I mean, I knew the music, but I didn't like have it under my fingers. It wasn't, it wasn't there. So like I had to like take the, the, the wee hours of the morning and deal with that. Yeah. But, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, it's just funny to look back. Cause I just had this clear conception of you in the rehearsal being like, yeah, so I was up just really loving checking this out. I was nursing a beer and writing this yeah, all out. I was yeah. Like, this dude is hardcore. Yeah. Transcribing some octopus's garden, you know. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and that was an epic show. That was fun, man. That was a great show. That was kind of like, yeah, yeah. to me, that, in looking back, that's like the beginning of the just never-ending cover show thing. Yeah, right? you know yeah. what I mean. The uh, full vinyl into the after party and yeah, yeah, whatever. Leave a lasting mark. What are all these beautiful things? But yeah. it's like, yeah. A lot I think of that was also that was one of the first times I played with you. It must it have been. It probably had to have been because I don't I don't remember anything prior to that. Not that we wouldn't have done it, but I, that definitely had to have been one of the first. times It I must played have been. Yeah, you. I think I. S- I might have sang. She came in through the bathroom window. I remember Evan Hansen, Evan Hansen, Evan <laughs> Watson singing. Uh, I want you. She's so heavy. Yeah, yeah. Do you uh, remember that? Legends, yeah, legends of uh, <laughs> the Bleecker Street heyday, right? Because then the, that's kind of too when the whole thing like shifted to Rockwood, <laughs> yeah, too. yeah. That was that was kind of the 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 end of the uh, the Bleecker Street hang was kind of happening around that time. Yes, sadly, but, sadly, you know, but but things move on, you know. There's, things move on, and, and we can still go back there. Yeah. Pat and I played. The club like is still there. Two, we can play there anytime. Two weeks ago or a week ago, we're at the Red Lion until. That's, uh, that's true. Until five in the morning woof. or whatever for some of us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I had a I had a true Bleecker Street night that night. <laughs> <laughs> a true Bleecker Street night does not end until the sun rises. Until the yeah. sun <laughs> is out again. That's right. The Red Lion. Yeah. The one, I, to me, that is literally one of my favorite gigs in oh, the city, yeah. though. I, I, it has a special place in my heart, for sure. Yeah. Uh, as as grueling as it can be, because you are starting a set at that is probably that is a two-hour set at 1.30 in the morning. Yes. But even as grueling as that is, there's something really special about it that you don't get to do most other places. And most... I don't... I, if you're not a New York musician, I don't think there's any place in this country that you experience that. I mean, most other cities shut down earlier than New York. And no, I, can't, I can't think of like another, maybe New Orleans. New Orleans, maybe is, prob- New Orleans, New Orleans yes. is probably the only other city I can think of where you maybe start a set at like 1.30. 
and then go until 3.30. And somehow the party is still going at the end of that. And you can yeah. somehow find a bar Somehow open find at a bar that's open at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> but that's not really my talent. That was Jeff Toohey's talent. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, you're probably right. And the other thing I love about that gig, though, is that the audience is psyched up to be there. Oh, they love it. They are singing the words more than I have even ever known the words. I am, I am, I'm always floored when we do those gigs. And yeah. maybe you feel the same way. Always. Because you've, you've, you've been there so many times. Like when, uh, you know, when we do uh, Country Roads. How does a 21-year-old frat boy from NYU know every single word to that song. I, I don't just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know all the lyrics. I don't know the song. words. I'm just trying to hang out to the changes. You know, I know. Like, I know. That bridge is tricky. The bridge <laughs> is very watch tricky. Out. Watch out. The bridge is tricky. You better review it before the gig because <laughs> you're not going to remember where it is. Um, although, at, like, yeah, I, it's there's there's a little bit of magic in the air at that one thirty hour. Yeah, yeah. Because the seven o'clock show and the ten o'clock sh- ten can be rocking. Yeah. Seven, you're like just trying to create something. Yeah. Never had a rocking seven o'clock show. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, Dion Band used to do the seven o'clock hits. We used to do seven to ten, sometimes. It was rare, but. Before the uh, bitter end throwdown. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if we ever did. I don't know if we ever did like a back to back. We might have done like a back-to-back lion bitter end or vice versa it's very possible but yeah no i know what you mean like that how special that is though that you know you can't you can't reproduce that in most places and no you can't and i i always think of this that drummer eric caleb 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 Mm -hmm. yeah he said to me he's like yeah i'm gonna do the gig because you know what i'd probably just be at home watching clips of james brown videos anyway yeah so i might as well go play some music yeah, yeah. <laughs> i like that concept like yeah maybe you'll be awake but it's yeah, it's, it's like, always nice it's to like play. the it's like the torch of of music above all else you know yeah. what i mean and and you just got to carry it yeah it does <laughs> it's a, it's a special show so that leads us back to the brooklyn sugar company yeah 2012, mm-hmm. you guys kind of all started hanging out, doing shows. Yeah, well, the, Maybe it was the, the very first time that we all played together was as a backing band for Lorenza Ponce, who is a violinist uh, uh, in the New York area, uh, yes. and very well-respected violinist. And um, uh, we played some opening shows for Bon Jovi, at um, uh, just a small the, gig, the Long you know, Island for Coliseum, Bon Jovi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, this man Bon Jovi. <laughs> she plays in Jovi's band. Yes, she's and he in, said, she's "I'm going to give you the band. opening slot." Yes, yeah, and so she and she, she said, "I got to put a band together." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was uh, coming back from a tour in Russia at the time, and uh, uh, Greg had recommended me for that that spot. Uh, in that band and Zach had already been playing with her for a bit and I believe Brian had already been playing with her for a bit and that was the first time the four of us had gotten to play together uh, as a group and and the chemistry was really good and and I remember we finally got into like later the next maybe the winter after that so not even a year later we started working on the the Josh Dion, uh, Josh Dion, the Brooklyn Sugar Company record, yeah, as it would eventually become. It was kind of just like a passion project at first, and then we realized that there was something really cool there, and we kind of kept kept going with it. 
And you tracked it at Greg's house? Yeah, we were up at uh, GNM. GNM. And GNM. it was a real um, kind of collaborative record, though. Yeah, you guys, yeah. like, it wasn't... Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, co- we co-produced the whole thing, and... Um, uh, you front some songs. Greg's yeah, front yeah, some songs. Front songs, Zach's front Brian songs. Front Brian songs. Front songs. Everyone, everyone's singing. Everyone sings on every song, pretty much. You know, um, and that was that was part of the fun of it. Was like, you know, finding people that you could you could do a round robin with like that, and 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 everyone feels really good and comfortable with it. And somehow, all of our songwriting felt cohesive enough that we were able to put it all on one record and and make it work um just with even with all of our influences um yeah and that was that was that was a really cool thing to discover that and you had been writing kind of before that a little bit yeah or have you I, always, you've always well, been writing yeah songs. i mean like one of the one you've of been writing when, since you were three years old yeah yeah well i mean there was that but uh, i mean like i i went through a period where i wrote i wrote a bunch of songs in like 2009, 10, 11, I started picking up guitar for the first time uh, around that time, and, and oh, yeah. I used it as like a as like a songwriting tool because um, uh, I I always felt really great when I would pick up a guitar because like I not I wouldn't have a lot of facility on it, oh, that's so, so interesting, I, I would I would write very differently when I had a guitar with me rather than if I was sitting at at the piano. The piano was too vast. Uh, for the songwriting that I wanted to do, and and so guitar just felt like a really good instrument to have to to work on, and um, and so I wrote I wrote I don't know maybe maybe a dozen songs around that time or so, and and a bunch of those wound up being part of the Brooklyn Shirt Company uh, um, uh, repertoire. So, how did the, well? I'm fascinated in this that you know like a massive keyboardist like you. Where did the guitar? Did you just get one at a st- shop? Or did I, someone give you one? Someone just gave like, me one. Dan Dan Heinemann and Sarah Versprill gave me a um, little uh, dreadnought acoustic. Don't even remember what what brand or model it was. Um, and uh, it had. I mean, it was it needed a setup worth more than anything. The action was probably just like you know off, off just completely off the off the neck but uh it was it was just like i just loved playing it it was just fun it was like it just made me feel creative and spontaneous and and were you playing with a pick i wasn't i never i never really liked oh, playing with a pick. i liked pick? i liked finger picking yeah that was so like, you're doing some finger picking and you would just kind of like be like huh i think this is a song maybe i'll try to I, sing I le- something yeah over this. i mean like i learned like, a couple of like bob dylan tunes to, to play some dylan tunes on it and um you know, a few other a few other songs just to like learn different chord shapes and things like that. And I would just a lot of the writing that I would do was kind of based around like I was basically just kind of stealing everything I was finding from those songs um, in terms of like chords and 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 chord movement and that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, it was just like it was just kind of like a little eye-opening uh, time for me where I was able to to write lyrically and and feel really comfortable with everything that was coming out and and just feel confident about it and and yeah and then the Brooklyn Sugar Company kind of gave you an avenue to and that to put some of that exactly stuff. Yeah. yeah and then and then I mean I, I did I did some recordings with Greg at his studio back in 2011 and those kind of morphed into what uh, Brooklyn Sugar Company 
became because we took some of the songs from that and we worked out some stuff uh, from from those demos. And yeah, that's kind of like how it all just kind of weaved together into that um, into that band. It's funny that as a musician, when we put ourselves in like different environments and like you find creativity there, mm. you know, that's uh, that's a fa- that fa- fascinates me. Yeah, yeah. Because there's always something about that. Um, you know, you pick up a bass. I don't know. And you're like, oh, I just wrote a bass line. I think this could be a song. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. you, you, you wouldn't do it on your normal act. No, like, no, yeah, yeah. not at all. Not at all. And, and because you are limited, like, I like being limited with facility because it, it makes you think in a very different way. Um, and and not, not being able to do a lot really helps with songwriting because I think that's, like, one of the things that gets, at least for me personally, like, that gets in the way when I write um, is... is thinking too much yeah it's easy to overthink it yeah yeah and when you can't do a whole lot you can't overthink it because you're like well i have four options g c d (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) there's an e and maybe if my fingers are feeling strong enough i get that f chord i might (laughs) get the f a flat seven (laughs) oh that's interesting that's interesting that's fascinating i didn't know that pat that's a cool story yeah is this kind of maybe <clears throat> in a time period, too, where you kind of started to develop your engineering and producing chops a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I mean, like, I was I was starting to get into the, uh, you know, get the bug of, like, oh, how do you make records kind of, um, you know, I got, how do you make records fever? Um, especially just working with Greg again, because when we were at his studio, especially when I was doing the demos for my stuff... Um, it was kind of like, uh, it was really collaborative in terms of like, I would be setting up microphones and running cables and like, sometimes I'd be running the desk. And, you know, I started getting really interested in like how all that works. And um, yeah, that was kind of like the first time that I started seriously focusing on, on the idea that maybe I could, I could do that as well. Yeah. Um, uh, the technology was there. Maybe you got Pro Tools at home. I did. And I had, you got a 002 I had, or I had M-Box. A, I had Pro Tools back even earlier than that, but I never really knew how to use it. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of a mystery to me. And this is all, like, it's fascinating. I find most of my engineering info, like, on YouTube now. Of course. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, right? it's like, it's where it's, you can find any piece of info out there. But, like, that was kind of pre-YouTube, and I just never really, like never got it so like it i had it but i didn't really know how to use it and 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 that was the time when i like i I had a copy of pro tools i had an mbox and i just got myself a couple of mics and started playing around with stuff and grew it into what you have now is a pretty substantial home studio this is a creation it's beyond creation station yeah this this is a studio yeah i mean it's like yeah i mean like uh i mean it is like that's kind of i mean that that's the reason i built it was just so i could have have the fun, the freedom and the fun to like be creative at any time that I wanted to, and not have to worry about like going to a studio or or you know that yeah. kind of thing. To put that into perspective, in Pat's, you said this is technically a studio. It, it is, feels like a yeah. one bedroom, but he had he built a vocal booth and also dubs as drum booth, ISO booth, a yeah, giant ISO a, booth. Yeah, it's a, it's a ISO booth that's big enough for drums. Yeah. And then his bed is built on top of a piano. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, my, is, my CP80 is, lives underneath my bed, is which is also a giant storage area for every synthesizer that I own. Every uh, synth, and then you have that 
chest that you opened up with this massive cable. Yeah. Like storage. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, yeah, it's it, you know slowly but surely, but just been collecting a bunch of stuff over the years and yeah, adding like, on as slowly as, as I can. But is that something that maybe? In the future, you'd like to do more of more production. Yeah, and I mean, like you know, the going back to like you know transcribing stuff at like three a.m. while drinking a beer. It's like that's kind of like my, I'm kind of a homebody, so like I yeah. like I like being at home. You know, I don't I don't really need much more than like you know uh, a place to produce music and a few instruments to have a good time. Um, so. You know, it's it's always been something that I've wanted to like have at home, and, and available at at any time for me. Have you had little uh, moments where you're able to work on some of your own music at the beach? Uh, yeah, beach studio? yeah. You beach know, what, like I, I've here? been I've been working on I've been working on some like solo piano stuff that that uh, I've I've been recording for a while. Um, uh, you know, like I'll I'll have I'll have a lot of fun sessions where I just like. Turn on, you know, turn on the Pro Tools, just get get stuff up and running, and then just plug in a bunch of th- like synthesizers and see what happens and yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's like it, it's nice to always have that kind of handy and and available. Because even if it's stuff that I'm not like particularly interested in in releasing or or putting out into the world, it's like it's stuff that like broadens my ideas in terms of like what I can bring to other projects and things like that. Yeah. That- that's a, it's an interesting thing to think about, Pat, because Pat also still writes all his charts by hand, and I have a piece of <laughs> manuscript paper. So I, I even find that as a writer, I do still enjoy just using my phone and, like, pushing record. Mm. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And yeah. having this, like, very physical thing. And then, because sometimes when you get into the studio, you're, you know, you're getting bogged down. You're like, oh, yeah. what, what, what tremolo plugin should I put on this Rhodes patch, you yeah. know, or like, yeah, I and mean, you're like, damn it, I didn't make any music for 45 minutes. Right, now, right, you know? yeah, and you're all stalled, and then, then what do you do, you know, it's, that, that, it's the same idea, it's like just having, having something that you can just like push record and feel comfortable playing into, no matter what it is, it's like, that's just having the flow just going at all times, because the more you spend playing with tremolo pedals and stuff like that, Nothing that's, that's when the stuff goes out the window. That's like the later thing. That's what, like, as I've gotten older, that I've realized, like, oh, you should write the thing first. Yeah. Don't worry about the sound. Don't worry about all the fun toys and all that other yeah. stuff. That's later. You know, like, just just get the idea down. Just put something, uh, you know, to to iPhone or to microphone or whatever you're using. You know, just get it yeah, get it, it out into the world. It's interesting that you have this much capability at your home front because I still find I like to write at the simplest. I can get overwhelmed by the studio, so that's mm. just me personally. Yeah, because yeah, which relates to how you had an acoustic guitar. You're like, yeah, I just wrote all these songs. I don't know, I couldn't play guitar and I had a guitar and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's much easier that way. It's much easier that way. Yeah, it is. Um, who were you touring Russia with then? Mm. I was on tour with John Forte, who was a uh, songwriter and uh, uh, producer. He uh, was one of the producers of uh, The Score, which was um, uh, um, the Fugees, big record. 
Um, and he had an opportunity to go over to Russia to uh, uh, write and record a record. And uh, so he hired a band and brought us over in the, in the darkness of winter. Yeah. I arrived like late February and, uh, and left at the beginning of May. Um, and uh, it was a really eye-opening experience. It was really interesting. So you spent, spent two months there? It's about two and a half months, yeah. Making a record? Yeah, yeah. It wow, was, that's like a dream. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it was, uh, it was a real eye-opening experience just getting to hang out in a foreign country for that long. And Russia's, like, in terms of, like, being foreign to, uh, you know, American culture, Russia's pretty far from American culture in a lot of ways. Interesting. So it was, like, it was pretty, pretty... Uh, interesting experience getting to be there for you know that amount of time and getting to know uh you know getting to know people from that that part of the world and and how they think and how they feel and all that kind of stuff and in winter yeah and in winter which yeah. is russian winters are harsh harsh cold harsh. lots and of you vodka. and i you and i are from upstate new york yeah <laughs> harsh but, cold but maybe not yeah, that cold not that cold yeah, yeah. Uh, we got there on the coldest day of the year, and it was like no joke. I think the high that day was like negative thirty Fahrenheit. Yeah, that's when that the, was the high temperature. That's when your eyeballs and nose freeze. We try. We had we had an apartment that was like about a mile from the Kremlin, and we decided on the first day that we'd go to the Kremlin to go see you know the the cathedral and everything. And um uh uh um. We uh, tried to make our way over there, and we had to, like, duck into department stores over and over again. And we had, like, prepared. We had, like, big heavy coats and hats and gloves and all the fun stuff. And, like, we had to duck into a, a department store maybe every quarter of a mile because we couldn't walk any farther because it was so painful. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the cold was just biting in a way that I had never felt cold before. Oh. Yeah. And they live like that every day, and they're just—they're totally fine with it. They're and totally fine. They, yeah. they don't even think about it. Yeah. Yeah, life doesn't stop. They no, just keep no. going they on. They just pile on a bunch of heavy clothing, and they look all fabulous because their Russian culture is very like high on fashion. And yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and maybe you mentioned this, but I didn't quite catch it. He was—he got a grant to go record there, or just had a deal. He had or? A, 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 has a friend uh, over there uh, who um, uh, is a—I uh, uh, believe he's a CFO of one of the richest uh, Russian uh, uh, industrialists. He's—he's a, he's a guy who um, Mikhail Prokhorov. He owns like tons of Russia's gold reserves and I believe he owns oil too like he's you know multi 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 billionaire and uh, his friend who he went to high school with is the CFO of like one of Mikhail Prokhorov's companies and so he financed the uh, the, the tour for us to go over there and, and hang and write and then also visit parts of the country as well and you were doing some performing too yeah, a yeah yeah we did quite a bit of performing yeah I mean we were out we were out um, maybe maybe doing four or five shows a week sometimes. Um, wow. You know, going to different different parts of the country. We traveled by train the entire time. And uh, so we got to see a lot of the, the Russian countryside. And then uh, we made it as far west as Nizhny Novgorod uh, and as far north as St. Petersburg. Uh, and every, every city that we went to was just, you know, had its own unique 
points to it. I mean, St. Petersburg is, is uh, you know, just a, a, a marvel to see because it's like a, one of the, mo- like the, the first planned cities on, on the planet. So everything is designed in a very specific way. You have the, the old um, palace was there, which is now um, um, the, uh, the Hermitage Museum. Mm. Um, uh, and yeah, so there's like a lot, you know, it's, just, it's a really rich cultural place to go to and a lot of history I mean, just tons of history there yeah are you gonna go back do you ever you I've, always go wanted, back? I've always wanted I've always wanted to right? go back oh yeah I've always wanted to go back I just haven't really had the opportunity to it's not it's not the easiest country to get into you know the visa process is a little bit trickier like you have to have I, mean, I think getting a tourism visa isn't terribly difficult but like to go and work there you have to meet some uh, specific requirements and you know, fill out all this paperwork and go to the consulate and this whole thing. I remember all this stuff from like when we went over there. Like there was, it was a whole process to get a, there. Yeah, um, it wasn't like you. You can't just like get on a plane and show your passport to customs. And roll into and roll into Russia. Yeah. Roll into Moscow. Yeah, and be yeah, like, they, yeah they, we're just gonna go check up yeah, the Kremlin, man. Yeah, they, they don't. Yeah, they don't. They aren't uh, quite that uh, welcoming. Yeah. <sighs> well, especially now, probably. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't. I don't know what it is. In terms of like the, I mean, yeah, U.S.-Russian relations are definitely strained, but I think you can still go on relatively the same, you know, the same same amount of info that we had to go with. <clears throat> you got one of these tattoos there too, right? I did yeah, I got I got the, the tattoo on my right arm was done uh, in Moscow, um, and uh, yeah, this is a, a, a Russian siren, which uh, in Russian mythology, the the siren, you know, the Greek siren is the you know, the creature that lures sailors to their demise in the sea. But the, the Russian siren's, like, slightly different. You still die when you see the Russian siren. <laughs> yeah. But it sings the song of God. Okay. So it's like, it's, it's, it, there's like a benevolent factor in there. You hear the sound of God before you die. Before you which die. Which is like... A little more positive. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you, you can compare it to, like, you, you, feed, you get to experience true enlightenment before you pass on, you know, that kind of thing. Um, that so. seems yeah, wise. So it's like it's a, cool, it's, it, right? there's a little bit of niceness in there before you get killed. I like that. I always feel like <laughs> that when you read about like a natural death, like if a grizzly bear was like shaking you up and you'd be in panic, but the moment before you die, you would get a like a shot of serotonin or something where yeah. you're just like in bliss. You're like, eh, well, this is death, you yeah. know, and you're like okay with it. I don't know. That, that's kind of beautiful. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. It, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's very, uh, it's, it's very mysterious and, and, uh, uh, I just liked, I liked the connotation of it, so that's why I picked the, 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 um, that particular piece of mythology to put yeah. on my arm. That's cool. Russia's cool. Any traveling is cool. Did yeah. you ever do some European tours or? Yeah, Jostian Band went to Spain for. Oh, that's right. You guys have this whole we, Spain we did, Yeah, we, we went to Spain three times. Uh, we went to the Netherlands. Um, yeah, we we would spend about a couple weeks at a time in Spain. We would tour parts of the country, and then we would often be um, uh, playing at in the Canary Islands. They have a great jazz festival, uh, uh, and we played that I think twice, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, we would we had a, a promoter friend who was also connected with Chuck Loeb, going back to that that uh, that route. But um, he uh, he was a big fan of that band and loved taking us over and, and promoting shows for us. 
It's so um, dope. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I love Spain. Spain's like my favorite European country still to this date. Yeah. Yes. Rachel and I went there recently, and I, I remember Brian Colleen at Crescent and Vine would get something he would refer to as the TOS Taste of Spain, mm. which was Manchego, Jamon. 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 Yeah. I can't remember what the third thing was, but I remember that would, at that point in my life, it was like very, uh, I was like, wow, Manchego, this is, this is foreign. This is exotic. Now Manchego is like everywhere. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. But I was yeah. like, wow, Manchego, this is special. This is special cheese. Yeah. I mean, the, the, my favorite culinary moment in, in Spain was uh, on the island of Mallorca. We went to, um, was it Mallorca or Menorca? I can't remember. No, it's Mallorca. I think it's the one that we went to. I feel like that. Yeah, I feel like Mallorca. Uh, and they had this jamón yeah. that was the 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 pigs only ate acorns their entire lives. That's all they fed on. They just grazed on acorns. On on I don't know how they got these acorns, but they that's all they ate. And the meat was just some of the most flavorful, delicious ham you've ever had it just had this like beautiful nutty taste to it, it yeah was, oh oh oh, oh. oh. Uh, i just washed that down with a little bit of spanish wine yeah a little rioja yeah. or a little cava yeah yeah take a dip in the sea go to the mediterranean <laughs> get a tan get a tan <laughs> take a nap yeah yeah, the I, siestas. Siesta. I remember when we were, Rachel and I were there maybe last year or two years ago, and it was such a late night culture. You know, like the oh, 9, yeah. 9 oh. p.m. to midnight, it was popping I remember off. The, fir- the very first show we ever played there, we played at a club. Again, I, I forget if it was Mallorca or Menorca. I'm, I'm blanking on which island it was. But um, uh, we played a, 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 you know, a club, like an actual music club that had a, a discotheque underneath it. And we played late. I mean, we started, you know, speaking of gigs that start late, I think we started at one in the morning uh, at this club. And we played, you know, we played the, the Josh Dion band set until probably like 2.30, 3 o'clock, maybe at the latest. And then we finished everything and the club is still going. And the discotheque downstairs is just opening at like 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. And people partied there until 6, 7 a.m. You know, like yeah. it's just like nonstop fun. It's like they, they just don't they don't they don't believe in closing hours there. And it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. 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 It's a late night. Talk about late night spots. I was like, you know, you're exhausted because you're going way you're traveling i was like these guys are going in yeah i'm ready yeah. for bed at 9 p.m you know yeah. what I mean? like well that's why they have the siestas you know they have their moments yeah they have their moments in between where they're like yeah time to i need four hours need to, to chill need out to prep here. prep for tonight yeah dang so what's going on what's in store in the future we've looked back what does pat firth have coming up uh well that's uh, always kind of like my last question i'm not trying to wrap this up but no it's okay uh i am uh, looking forward to doing um, some work on a musical that's uh, been written by uh, Alan Menken, who uh, is... Uh, very famous. Yes. Uh, he's a very well-known composer. Little Shop of Horrors, Little Mermaid, etc. All Disney. If you, if you know a Disney song, it's probably written by him. Um, yeah. Uh, 
he is writing, or actually wrote, a musical a very long time ago called Atina, Queen of the Galaxy. And um, I had the opportunity to uh, do uh, some informal workshops on it um, about three years ago. And uh, uh, since then, we just kind of recorded some rehearsals. They weren't open to the public or anything. And since then, he uh, has been reworking the book and is uh, we're getting ready to... Uh, do a uh, a twenty nine hour reading of the uh, of the show. So we're say doing, what? Uh, say what? Yeah, I didn't know this term why, either. Why like does it I, have to be twenty nine hours? It's uh, apparently that's a theater term. I didn't okay, I didn't okay. know it. Either, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, until it was proposed to me. Um, it uh, basically it's a bunch of rehearsals uh, and then two performances, which total twenty nine hours of work. Uh, and I think we're doing them at Rockwood. Uh, I don't think that's totally been finalized yet, but um, uh, yeah, so the, the, we're actually going to do some public performances of that, which would be fun. Um, Is that this winter? That's this, uh, this fall. Yeah, we're this doing fall. this in October. Great. Um, and that's uh, that should be fun. And then uh, I have, I'm yet entering another season of the Big Apple Circus. A, uh, show well, we that didn't I've... even talk about the circus, yeah. Pat. Ah. Tell me... Oh, ah. Okay, now you're ah. opening up. Ah. So, for my simple mind, please say the name of the Mencken show one more time. The Mencken show is called Atina, Queen of the Galaxy. Okay. And that's going to be... That's kind of... You've been involved from it from the ground floor. You're... Um, yeah, I mean... Keyboards wrote, 1 or Keyboards 2? I, or... I, I, as far as I know right now, I'm the only keyboard player. Yep. So, yes, I would be Keys 1. Yes. Um... Uh, but uh, it's a show that he wrote back in the '70s. I mean, this is—it's old—it's an older show that he. Um, I, I believe he based the character of, or at least some of the character of Ursula from Little Mermaid. Uh, I believe that's her name, right? Ursula. Yeah. Sure. I, I, yeah. It's been a long time, but uh, um, I believe he, the evil queen from Little Mermaid, is loosely based on Athena, the same character. Cool. Uh, from what I have gathered, um, and uh, yeah, so like the uh, that's that's all going to be coming up this fall, and then the circus. Yeah. Um, so you've been so Pat, you've been working with the Big Apple Circus yeah. for how many years now? This will be my tenth season working with them. We're like, I think you know, seventy-five minutes. Hour and a half into this podcast, and that doesn't come out till now. Well, tenth season, with tenth season, yeah. It's a it's a show that I've been working on for about ten years. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of like a New York institution. Um, it's been around. The show's going into its forty third year now. Got um, And uh, it's uh, it's been set up in New York the entire time, and uh, it's a it's a really fun. It's a fun show to work on because it's it's kind of outside of the rest of the world that I I normally deal with in terms of like you know singer songwriters and rock music and that kind of stuff like where it's um, uh, you know you're dealing with these incredible uh, ath- athletes I mean they're just athletes uh, uh, yeah. who are in like peak physical form doing these incredible tricks that you can't fathom that a, a human could actually do them and then you see them do it and you still have no idea how they're doing it and um, it's just it's really exciting it's a fun it's a fun project to work on 
Um, and it and the music is usually fast and furious. That's, it's that's just generally it's just it's a chop buster. <laughs> yeah, it's a chop buster. Yeah, it's like it, it keeps, keeps me in line. It does kind of set up. It's not, it, it, you go to Boston, you go to DC, you go to Philly or something, right? It does yeah. like months yeah, it or does, weeks. It does, in it does some regional touring um, this coming season. I think they're only planning on doing New York, uh, but they're doing an extended run of almost five months at the Center. So it's like. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be a nice chunk of, of time that we get to, to... When does that start? This is going to start uh, mid-October. I mean, the actual performances start mid-October, and they're going to run through mid-February. And you're you're the guy? I, I am the keyboard player, yes. So you get to sub out 50... What is it? 49% of the shows? Yes, something something in that realm, yeah. Right, like... Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, you know, I don't know. You do that work. I, I, I have always kind of shunned away from, like, that Broadway... Any time I've like dipped my toe in it, I was like, "Nah, this doesn't really appeal to me." But isn't that the thing? Like you can, you could sub out every Saturday night and yeah, take a wedding yeah, gig. Yeah, yeah, and I often do. I usually I uh, I will uh, take wedding gigs and that kind of stuff. You know, I, I usually keep every piece of work that I'm I'm doing going while this show is happening as well. Yeah, um, your Monday or is it dark on Monday? It's dark on Mondays and Tuesdays usually. Yeah. yeah. So so Wednesday through Sunday. But we do multiple shows most days, so that's like 12 shows in five days. Goddamn, yeah. Because yeah. we'll do like two on Wednesday, two on Thursday, two on Friday, three on Saturday, and then... Sunday, Monday. Yeah, then, then Sunday, two, maybe three, sometimes, depends. Um, How long is the show? I've never seen it's it. Like a, it's like a two-hour show. Uh, wow. You know, it usually runs around two hours. Do you even open the book? Uh, towards the end of the, the season, I... I have the book there for reference, just so I am remembering what comes next or, or something like that. But uh, you know, in terms of actually reading the book, no. At that point, you're no, yeah. After no, you're... no one's reading at that point. Everyone is is <laughs> is watching football while uh, while while we're playing the show, yes. which is actually a thing. Actually, it's what's not, going I'm on? I'm right? not even exaggerating. People have uh, like you know, when at the height of the NFL. <laughs> The uh, especially the, the the woman who runs the the woodwind chair will have the Buffalo Bills game clearly dialed up on her phone, <laughs> just watching that while we're playing the show. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. That 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 sounds about right. I sat in the wicked, uh, in the pit in the wicked, and the second guitar player was reading the New Yorker. Yeah. Yeah. During the show, like yeah. like flipping the pages flipping and then <laughs> playing like a rock riff and yeah. then. Yeah, like really reading it. Yeah, you know? I was like, wow. That yeah. means, yeah, you've been playing the show. Yeah, I mean, the the show changes every year, so there is at least like a refresher at the beginning of every season. It's like a, a nice new challenge, and then you settle in, and then. But by the time the end the end of the season comes, you are, that's that. Yeah, you're doing everything else. You can do multiple things at the same time. It's just like a it's like a, a, a an interesting. You could do like an interesting study on like people who multitask. Like, how possible is it for you to do, like, one thing, playing an instrument, and then do a completely other thing? I've gotten really good at text messaging while playing. That's amazing, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. But it's only on that particular show. I can't do it anywhere else. No, like, of course. Yeah, that. I mean, if yeah. you played it for 10 years and you're doing 13, 10 shows a week or whatever, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, you're like, I know what comes next. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I bet you could probably do that on a wedding gig now, though, right? Don't stop believing, sure. Yeah, sure. Let me just send a quick text. Got to hit those bass notes, though. I mean, that piano yeah, part. it's two hands. Yeah, at least through the first verse. That's a second, very second verse. That's when the text message. Yeah. <laughs> that's a very busy fall, Pat. 
Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, the usual other stuff. Playing all the weddings and all the... No, no, no. And then the... working on your surfing. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah. <laughs> we haven't talked about surfing. I know, we haven't. At all. At all. At all. <laughs> so, it's guys. It's common thread. It's the common thread. Pat moved out here and I was just like, oh, dude. I've I just mean, started surfing. We're going to surf. You, and we are, literally you surf. are the one who got me into surfing, and now I, I can't stop. So You can't stop thinking about it. No, you got to watch videos. Like, you dude, I've, been about lo- it. I've been looking forward to this week because I knew I was going to have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday mornings all free. And I was like, I am totally surfing yeah. all those days. And this was like two <laughs> weeks ago. I was yeah. just like looking at the calendar. Just be like, yeah, it's going to happen uh, every day. Every day. Every no, I'm day. coming back tomorrow. Friday could be a little gnarly with Dorian out, but who knows? Hey. Maybe we get to watch the big dog surfers yeah, with the you know, World that's, Surf League. That might be the time where I just go and watch other people who know what they're doing. Yes. Do what they do, because, I mean, I am I'm definitely not shredding on any high levels. But that's not what it's about. No, I always try to explain the conception of surfing. I'm like, it's like oceaning. It's like I'm just going and I'm, just, even if I'm just sitting in the ocean, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. This is doing something for me that I can't explain, but I know it's good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you live yeah. out here. So. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's a good exercise and it's just, it's, it's healthy for the mind too. It's great for the brain. There's something, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's like something about like when you get out on that board and you're just like sitting on the board and you're looking towards, you know, towards the ocean, not towards the shore. And you just like have this open expanse and you just like have a moment to yourself. And it's like, yeah, that's, it's very centering and, and humbling. It is. It is. And, because that ocean will kick your butt, too. It's coming <laughs> to kick your ass. It does not care what you are doing. No. Pat, it was little today. It was like little. Pat yeah. and I, you know, we go out on, we're we're just, we're noobs. We're having fun. I, there was one where it must have been the set coming in. I got all excited. I took one. I got washing machined on that one. And then I got <laughs> just toppled over by the second one. And I was like, what the fuck, ah. man? Ah. Like, I, I was paying attention. I did everything right. Yeah. And I still just got like... Yeah. Oh, I had, I, yeah, I had a couple. I like that term, washing machine. <laughs> you're spinning. You're like, I can't tell if I'm up or down. Yeah, There's a fucking yeah. yard sale. My board's <laughs> 10 feet away from me right now. Like, yeah, it was yeah. fucked. Yeah, it was yeah, great, yeah, that, 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 yeah, that happened to me a few times today, too. But there's something, you know, you survive those moments and you're like, all right. Just get back up and do it again. <laughs> just go just back Don't, don't stop. Just keep on going. <laughs> yeah. I think it relates. I think it relates because, I mean, Pat and I talked about just this. Just get a up bit and over. do the 130 set at the red line, okay? Just, you're just going <laughs> to do, do it. Just do it. You're going to do it, yeah. all right? <laughs> Don't think about it. Get your <laughs> ass out there. Yeah, that, like, I look at all these um, just great surfers. It's like, yeah, look at the kid that was boogie boarding. If yeah. we had been doing this since age five, like, yeah. you've been playing piano, that fucker will never play piano like Pat Firth can, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, but he's shredding better than I am already. <laughs> <laughs> Kid, <laughs> he was shredding us. Yeah. I was like, "All right, little kid, I'm I'm getting out of the water. It's been your your it's your turn now." Yeah. Well, Pat, thank you for taking the time. Paul, it has been an absolute pleasure. We'll have to um, decide what track we'll play people out with right now. Okay. We want to decide right now. We didn't even pick a track. We haven't. Pat picked and I have a tr- just uh, uh, been focusing. We should. We should. I I I would pick the the Brooklyn Sugar Company. To play us out? Something from Brooklyn Sugar Company, yeah. Good. So we'll play people out with that, and we'll find something to play us in with. Because I'll usually do a little intro. Sure, sure, okay. Whatever, you know how it goes. Yeah, we'll figure that out. I can't explain to you guys how beautiful... We're on his balcony, we're looking at the ocean, 
the sky is beautiful. He's it got is, the mics on the balcony. A, Our margaritas are done. It's like yeah. we kind of got to wrap it up now because we need another drink. Because we need another margarita, yeah. and that's going to take some time. Because yeah. <laughs> I got to squeeze some limes. He's got yellow limes to go squeeze, yeah. Real limes. Real limes, though. Real limes. I think those, that's actually what a lime looks like. I, I don't think limes are actually really green. I think they're kind of like greenish-yellow. Yeah, well. Guys, yeah. enjoy some Brooklyn Sugar Company. Check Pat out. You clearly you have no shortage of opportunities if you are in New York City to see Pat Firth. Big Apple Circus, Atina Queen of the Galaxy. And what's your uh, how do people find you online, Pat? Um Mirthful Firth. At yeah, Mirthful Firth. I mean Firth. like yes, at Mirthful Firth I have my Instagram account. So you can see the one post that I put up every three months. <laughs> But that's about all I do. You don't I even don't, have a website? I don't have a website, no. I, I've toy I mean like I've toyed with the idea of doing it, but I've never really I like I like running a little under the radar. It's a little bit easier that way. This is the, what I think this is a testament to how good Pat really is at music because like your business, you're like, eh, well, people just call me and So it's a business based on reputation. When people like when I was upstate, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, uh, you try to explain to them what the hell it is. I was like, I don't you know, I I put these goofy videos up because people already know what I do. So mm-hmm. I get called to do that, not yeah. to do impressions at the gym. I mean, this yeah. is just for yeah. fun, you know? Like, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just, you know, let it roll. All right. Pat, Life will take care of you. Keep writing music. We look forward to what comes out of this studio. And everybody, please check out Pat Firth. He's a goddamn gentleman. And him and I are going to go back, have a drink, and maybe hit the water again. You never know. Yeah, yeah. That's a good idea, actually. This day is not over. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Paul.
Part of me. That was part of me. Part of me by the Brooklyn Sugar Company, Patrick Firth on vocals and keys. Sick track. If you made it this far, you're a goddamn boss. Daryl Bush, this is for you because you make it this far. You're like, dude, you call me up. He's like, you need an outro, bro. You need an outro. Uh, Thank you to Jason Wexler. Thank you to Rachel Voss. Thank you to everybody. Whatever. Have a fucking delicious day, lovely beings. Be super well. Be lovely to each other. Be super kind. Patrick Firth, he's the goddamn boss. I hope we get in a couple more surfs before it turns bitterly cold. These fucking gigs are ruining me. And uh, here's how we end it. 